Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today we have an author interview with supernatural thriller author Jennifer Burrows. But first, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you we're just past the first of the month for September, which means that there's a new story up at www.terrytalksfiction.com. This month, we have a science fiction story about life on a generation starship, a father's regrets for his relationship with his daughter before her death, and the power of art for the human soul. As always, you can read the story for free on the website, or you can sign up for the free mailing list and have the story delivered to you directly in either PDF or ebook form for the ease of reading across devices. I really hope that you'll enjoy this story and this interview with Jennifer Burrows. I'm here with Jennifer Burrows, speculative fiction writer, memoir writer, songwriter, and Christian author. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much. It's lovely having you here, Jen. It's going to be good to get to know you a little bit. We, for the listeners, Jennifer and I are part of this Twitter group chat, so we've known each other for a little while now, but it's going to be nice to have a, an actual proper conversation, I reckon, Jennifer. <laughs> I reckon that sounds exactly right. I think it'll be really good. I wish we could do more getting to know you. I think sometimes, you know, you get on Twitter and, and you meet these wonderful writers and you see these little you know, snapshots of things, but you don't really, there's such a wealth of knowledge in our community. And the more I dig into that, the more I'm just absolutely falling in love with our writers community. Well, in the spirit of that and getting to dig a little bit deeper, why don't you take a minute just to tell us a little bit about yourself, Jennifer? How did you come to writing? What's the kind of fiction that you like to write? And what does it mean? What does writing mean to you? Well, so my journey to writing has never been, hey, I want to get published. It started when I was little and I, when I was 10, I started writing, you know, in my diary as a lot of 10 year old girls start writing in their diaries at that age. And then in high school, it turned to poetry and was just, I fell in love with the way that language can express an emotion and really draw out that emotion in somebody else. That in college turned into songwriting where I um, started writing my own music. I was actually, my degree in college is piano performance. And so I'm a professional pianist as well. And so I started after college touring with my piano and my guitar and singer and songwriter kind of thing in the Bahamas where my then boyfriend was. He's now my husband. And we decided, you know, after a couple of years of that, that it was time to move to Nashville, Tennessee, because this is the, the hub for all singer songwriters to make it right. And then uh, three months later, I became pregnant with my son and decided that I didn't want to work late nights and, and fight that scene. I wanted to love on my baby. And so I went down a different route and became a teacher and started to write my first book. And my first book was a memoir about my first year teaching inner city Nashville school. It was, you know, it's the kind of schools where they shut the school down so that they can bury, the, the gangs can come in and bury their dead. Um, we were right across from the cemetery. So it was, it was it's a great story. <laughs> it's got lots of really things you would never imagine would happen in a school system do. And then that, I ended that book that year and the very next year my husband got brain cancer and uh, we had a huge epic battle. It was uh, only 2% of the population gets this type of cancer. 
and it's so extremely rare. And so we had to really go on the war path of how to get that resolved. I wrote a memoir about that. And then one more year later, I was like, you know what? I, I love fantasy. Like I've been reading fantasy books for years. Like I dive into them. I read like at least one every other day. Um, I'm a very, very fast reader. I mean, you would expect that from an English teacher. So I started reading, started reading like a ton of it. I was like, no, I think I can do this. Like, I think I can actually write this. And so I started writing fantasy or what I thought was fantasy at the time and uh, was teaching a creative writing course with my students and challenged them to write their books with me. And so we, we began this journey. And so in September of 2017, I wrote Predestined. In January of 2018, I wrote Forsaken, which is the second book in the trilogy. And then last November, I wrote Concealed, which is the third book in that trilogy. I started uh, shopping Predestined, and those are supernatural thrillers. Right around November, I got asked to write for Chinillo.com. And so I've been working on a science fiction novel for them called Cult of Blindness. And uh, that is actually something you can go on and read at this time. So I'm kind of uh, got a lot of genres, but my heart, my heart beats for the supernatural thriller kind of urban fantasy area. Those are the books that I pick up and read. And those are the books that I just absolutely fall in love with. Your writing journey has really been a, a very appropriately storied one from the sounds of it then, going from <laughs> extremes of poetry to, uh, to supernatural fiction. That's pretty cool. I, you know, I really enjoy learning I, and um, I don't really believe in boundaries. I, I believe boundaries are something we put on ourselves. And so, you know, at first when I started writing the supernatural thriller, a lot of people would say, oh, your lines are so pretty. They're very lyrical. And I thought, okay, well, I got to back off on that. because I'm not sure I'm going for pretty in supernatural thriller. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, to me, it's like, if you enjoy crafting language, you should learn all of them. And yes, you're, you're going to have an audience for one. Like you're not necessarily going to have an audience for every single book you write because they really shop separately. So like when I shop for books, I don't look for science fiction books. I've never done that. I look specifically for fantasy books. And so like when you, when you write different genres, you really have to think about like how am I going to market? That's why I picked the supernatural thriller Predestined to be my first step because that's the one I love and that's the one I want to travel down as far as I can. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? Every time I hear or speak the word genre, I um, reminded one of my thesis supervisors, her entire career and doctorate was on the idea of abolishing genre classifications for writers. So every time I think about it, that part of my brain um, sort of pipes up over my shoulder and, uh, and waggles its finger at me, whilst the other sort of, I guess, the other demon or angel on the other shoulder whichever one you want to look at it as uh, pops up and reminds me, but, but marketing is a thing. Marketing is a thing. Stop it. Well, and you know, it's true. You're absolutely right. It, so I worked in sales for seven years in the middle of things. And in those seven years of sales, they have to have a place to put your book on the shelf. They have to be able to sell it under a certain vein of, okay, this would fit here or this would fit there. And, and everybody on the publishing side that I've talked to is, you know, I'm in Nashville. This is a big city. I've talked to publishing people. Several of them go to my church. For example, I talked with Selma Wilson, who is CEO of LifeWay's publishing division. And her first advice to me as an author is pick one, because if you ha like, it's great that you write all these others. And yes, you can eventually expand to that, but you're going to have to step out on one foot because that's how you're going to be marketed. Oh, that's good advice. I'm really interested to know what you were saying about sort of that lyrical style that was creeping into your early things. Does poetry or songwriting and song lyrics, does that play a bit of a role in the fiction that you write? Do you try to weave in, in a rhyme or two or a, a song that you might have come up with 
somewhere in the novel or is that something that's yeah. more of a gentle influence perhaps on your writing than, than so direct? I think it's a little bit of both actually because if you think about it, the first thing is with a love of language, I'm going to look for the most creative way to say things. And so one of the things that you're going to notice is there is kind of a, a rhythm to it or a flow because I naturally look for those things. Now there's, you know, there's all these little memes out right now, like alliteration, don't alliterate, it's the devil. <laughs> like, I don't agree. I'm waiting to see if I get, you know, struck down by lightning for that. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think it has to be done with purpose. I think the big problem that happens is people become, a lot of writers write to be beautiful in their words, and it has no meaning to what they're writing. That's a problem. It has to have meaning to what's being written. It has to have an echo effect in the line so that it's not just a, oh, that was a neat thing the writer did, but that it draws more emotion and meaning into it. And so I would say that I can use that background in music in very short amounts of words to draw emotion, a deeper emotion into the writing than if I hadn't had it. And, and I draw on it constantly. When I'm looking at a line and I'm like, ah, oh, that's cliche. What do I do? I dive into my poetry and my music background and I say, okay, how would I write this if this was a song? What would I do? And yes, there are song lyrics that I've written in it. There are poetry lines that I've written in the book because that's just a part of what I can do. And so, yeah. Do I think it's required or necessary? No, I think it's hopefully going to be part of what makes me different. Part of your, your flavor of, uh, this is a Jennifer Burroughs book. Yes, exactly. That's very cool. So with supernatural thrillers, uh, what sort of drew you towards that style of storytelling or that style of world building? Was there something about the themes in that that you really wanted to explore or something about you had a great idea for a character you'd like to spin an entire story around? What was it that drew you to that genre or to what you, you thought it was fantasy at the time? Like, What do you think it was about that aspect of, fa of fantastical writing that sort of drew you into it? For me, I use fantasy and even in my science fiction novel to explore the things that really upset me in our world today. And so what drove me specifically to the supernatural thriller is, of course, I'm a Christian and I, I read the Bible and in the Bible there are demons and in the Bible there are angels and in the Bible there is supernatural warfare. And I feel very much unprepared for understanding those things as a person. Like I just, okay, so the Bible says these things exist, but what do we know about them? And so it was an exploration of that, but it was also for me an elevation of saying, okay, these things exist and we're not aware of it. And what, what does that mean? As a person, as a warrior going out into the world, what does that mean? And so for me, it's an exploration of what that means in this world and bringing light to that kind of idea. And I have to say, I believe in an unseen God. We're going to talk about fantasy. <laughs> I mean, Really, that's fantasy. That's, it's true. It's a true fantasy. I don't mean to say that he's not. He's fantastic. But um, he is fantastic. What I mean to say is that like, if you really step back and you look at all fantasy, it is born out of the same concept. We're going to build a world. We're going to build plants and animals and all these different creatures. I mean, what does that sound like? Genesis. We're going to talk about this creature versus this creature. What are we talking about? We're talking about the men when they went to war in Exodus and they had kings and kingdoms, right? I mean, so like, I kind of feel like all fantasy reflects in its truest form doing what our creator does. Our creator created. What do we do? We create. In fantasy, we create. And I, and I feel like when I read even completely non-Christian books, I can see those elements in those books and stories of redemption in each one. 
Yeah, it's one of those things I've often sort of said as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek response when people say, you know, why do you want to be a writer or anything? And coming back with the answer, well, it's the closest thing I'll ever get to being God. It's uh, <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek, but it really is at the same time exactly what you're saying. You are in control of that universe that you are creating, and it, it does ape and mimic sort of what we've been the traditions we've been brought up in, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think I think true. You know, one of the things that we're commanded to do is to be like our creator, and I think we are. We're we're in an art form. We're reflecting what our creator has done. We're reflecting that and working in his image. And I feel like that truly has freed me. I mean, I love it. I absolutely, I have a blast in my world. I could get lost in them and stay there all day long. And even though my world that I created is very, very similar to the one that surrounds you right now, because in my world, you basically go through a portal and you're in the angel realm, but in the angel realm, it's an overlay. It's a clear overlay on earth. So you're still dealing in earth and things of earth, but you are also dealing in the things of angels. Oh, that's very cool. I'm getting a very city of angels, Nicolas Cage kind of vibe. Well, did you read um, This Present Darkness or Piercing the Darkness by Frank Peretti? By no, I'm afraid I haven't. Okay, so it's like from 1980, so it's an older, older book, but it was definitely something that had a huge impact on my life when I was a child, that and C.S. Lewis. He's a lot, like a lot, people who read it are like, oh, wow, I can see that you've been touched by that book. Definitely a seed for the book. It's, I'm really interested to know, with because there's so much Christian doctrine and elements of exploration into angels and demons and the way that the world interacts with, you know, the supernatural unseen elements of God and unseen elements of creation. How much of that influences the way that you are writing your story? Do you go deep into that research, into those uh, doctrinal areas, or are you cutting it sort of more out of your own whole cloth based just from that general osmosis of living in a faith community? So my dad is a preacher. And so what I start my investigative journey on, like when I first started, I was like, okay, like I don't want to be wrong based on the Bible being truth and real and right, then I don't want to be wrong. So I went to explore all of the things that I could not, there's not a lot of information given about angels and demons. There's, there's little pieces. And then I would put those pieces, I would use those pieces to help build. And then I would build around that from the things that I imagined. One of my critiques of the Peretti book was that he did, went into deep detail of the demons and described, you know, venom and talons and dripping. And, you know, I avoid that because I feel like that two, there's two problems with that. One, that's not information we begin. So, so now we're definitely in fiction, which I mean, this is a fiction book, don't get me wrong. But like, what's the best poison? What's the best poison ever? Well, it's going to be 99% real good food and 1% poison. That's what they feed rats. <laughs> so I think I want to have as much good, real good food. And then I'm just going to add very gentle nuances to that to kind of give that creative feel. And so I researched angels for a good month and then I researched demons for a good month. That was an interesting experience. But that was, yeah, so that it comes from that. But I do, I do quite a, a, a lengthy research and I talk with some people like creatures and different people about what, what they know, what they've experienced. You know, like there's a scene in there where like kind of like the exorcist where a demon is cast out. And so I ask, I call creatures and I ask them, have you ever experienced this? What was the experience? What did it look like? Did it happen? Did it change the person? I will tell you, it was some of the most interesting conversations I've ever had <laughs> in my life. 
That sounds absolutely fascinating. So you're really you're really a very primary resources kind of uh, researcher when it comes to building your world and the elements in your world. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not a perfect planner. I, I wish I was. I posted a little while back about how, you know, our God is a planner. He says that he makes a plan for us. So I'm like, okay, well, I should probably make a plan, but I'm not really a planner. I'm kind of like a, you know, <laughs> seat of the pants. So I've had to really work to move into the place. So a lot of times you'd be like, oh, I'm writing about an angel. I should probably check this out. And then I go down that rabbit hole. So it's not, <laughs> not like I did in August. I will research angels in September. I will research demons. You know what I mean? Like it didn't work like that. Just as I'm crafting those scenes, I dive into them. I suppose in some fairness, you don't usually get a second draft of the universe when you're, uh, when you're creating it. So we're, right. <laughs> that's the one advantage that writers do have. We can, uh, we can sort of tend to make things up on the fly and go back and fix it later. Right. Well, and so like even the things that I did, I did some very gentle things. And, you know, my readers, the beta readers were like, um, can you make that like explode? I'm like, oh, yeah, I can make it explode. <laughs> One of the things that my strengths are as a writer is writing battle scenes. My story is specifically about war. It's a, a war over love. And so I really enjoy writing those battle scenes and, and blowing things up. <laughs> this is the series that you're working on at the moment, just finishing off? Yes. So Predestined is the first one that I just finished. It is going out on submission probably today. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been quite the journey. And I'm still not sure where the end is, I'm kind of, again, not a really planner. I'm just kind of like waiting to see what doors open and where where I'm led to go because getting published and being in this industry is, it's really a work of art. And it's, you know, for each person, it's an original journey. And so, you know, you want to call people up and say, well, how did you make it? Or what did you do? But the reality is it's like asking Picasso how he painted his painting. It's one time and it doesn't happen again. So you can get advice and you can learn from their mistakes and, and try. But the reality is your journey is your own journey and you need to just walk it. Oh, fair enough. And actually, you've done a bit of walking recently uh, around a convention hall, I, I understand, with the, uh, the Realm Makers Conference. <laughs> yes, that was in St. Louis, Missouri. It was amazing. I, I've never been, I know it's going to sound silly. I'm from the U.S. I've never been that far west. <laughs> I know. We go east all the time, like east and north and south, but never west. And so um, this was my first venture to the Midwest, and it was incredible. Illinois is really flat. It's incredible. So like I'm from Vermont and Vermont means green mountain. Like it's literally a bunch of mountains. That's the whole state. And um, I live in Nashville now and it's still like we're in the valley of two giant mountain ranges. And so when we drove out of those and hit the plains, I was like, oh, wow. I mean, like, like I was watching the grass go by. I was like, is there any bumps? Like even in the dirt? <laughs> like it was just so flat. I have to say, I'm loving that from the country that's uh, famous for having the Wild West, the going west for the first time being such an experience. It was incredible. Like, I, I want to explore. I can't wait till um, that part of my life kind of kicks in. And I'm, I want to go to Italy. I want to go to Ireland. I want to go to Scotland. Like, I have, I have like this huge, I want to go to Alaska. I want to go, like, this long, long list of places that I want to visit and explore and experience. And I think part of that's because my life, you said earlier, was such a story. It's just, you know, you get one shot after going through brain cancer, terminal brain cancer with my husband and him surviving it. You realize, man, you better live. You better live every day. Nothing's guaranteed. And so there's a part of me that's kind of like, let's go. <laughs> well, what was the experience like then going to your first convention conference as someone who's working their way to being a working writer? It was 
Incredible. I, I, you know, it's funny because coming off the back end, I have so much to say about it. First and foremost is if you're considering going, you should go, period. I, it doesn't matter what stage your book in, is in because I'm a teacher and I go to teaching conferences and the majority of teaching conferences, you learn what you already know. It's not really not as enlightening as I wish it would be. But to this, I, I mean, there was incredible information, super helpful people. Everybody was kind. And it was like, you know, that feeling where you're like kind of always on the outside of everything because you just don't quite fit in. I mean, not many people are walking around with worlds in their heads. To get to a conference with other people who write like you do, and maybe not exactly, nobody, like I said, everybody's original. But to understand that we all understand there's worlds in our heads, that was so cool to be able to talk about those worlds and to network. I came away with at least a hundred new followers who I'm going to engage with and we're going to lift each other up. I got to meet published author Terry Brooks, Brent Weeks, Julie Hall. It was funny because every time I'd meet with a published author and about their book, I'd say, could you sign it with some writing inspiration so that it'll give hope? And not because I'm in despair at all whatsoever, but because I think that's one of the things that we need to consistently do to one another is to be hope for one another and to say, hey, you know, this happened and this is how it got resolved. And so it was great to see what they wrote in my books and just so uplifting. And, and you know, I did a couple things wrong when I was there because it was my first writing conference, you know, and I, I went whole hog. I went right in. I signed up for four sessions. I met with two editors. I met with uh, an agent and I met with a publishing company. And then at, I find out at the end, well, most people go to a writing conference and they just sit and like observe the lay of the land. I'm like, yeah, that's well, that I've never been most people ever. So I was okay with that. Again, just bring that bit of a Jennifer Burroughs flair to the event. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I, I, I was born a warrior. I came out screaming and I've been doing it ever since. So it's a part of it. But I'll tell you, I was shaking like a leaf going into him at the pitch events. And I was shocked. I mean, just shocked to find out how sweet and kind and normal the people that are rejecting us are. <laughs> You know, because you think about it, these are the people we're querying. And you, you kind of start, you know, vilifying them. Like, these are evil people. They're, they're sitting there with their weapons, flashing our documents, refusing us into the gate. And the reality is they're just sweet, kind people who are tasked with the job of making sure good, solid fiction gets out there and that it's not riddled with major errors. And a lot of us are making errors. So it really renewed in me this idea of, oh, these guys could be my friends. We need to learn. And I, I mean, I'm a teacher, so I'm also a learner, lifelong learner. And uh, I love to kind of be like, okay, I wish the writing community would do more of that. What is wrong? So there's a lot of really kind feedback. And I don't mean to say that I want people to be mean, because I know there are some people that are giving really nasty feedback, like destroyer of hopes feedback. But I do think we need to give honest feedback so that we can address our mistakes. You know, 10 years ago, my aunt said to me, Jennifer, you have a major problem with commas. You need to learn commas. What is wrong with you? And I was like, Okay, and you know, for the next 10 years, I spent learning each rule meticulously, and not just the rule, but like the application of that rule. So if it's this way, is it the same, or is it this way? Because the thing is, that set me on that journey. Had she not said that honest feedback, I wouldn't have been able to go on the journey of, and now I'm looking at becoming an editor and starting an editing side of my writing. And I think like that's really important. So I, I really loved that when I met with the editors, 
Oh, this was so cool. So I met with Catherine Jones Payne, who is an editor. She does Quill Pen Editorial. She's written her a mermaid series that is amazing. And she sat with me and she was the one that helped me figure out the genre for my book, that it was a supernatural thriller. She helped me figure out my comps, which I didn't even know an editor could do, which I thought was amazing. She helped me figure out my like pitch line and who I should pitch to. That's the other thing. So like one of the things I never knew is that a lot of editors might know like, Oh, this book would be great for over here where, I mean, as I'm sure, you know, oftentimes it's like, well, I don't know who to pitch to. I don't know who to query. I mean, they, they all say fantasy. What does that mean? You know, <laughs> fantasy so big. It's like saying we're all human. Well, good for you. Yes, that's true. We are. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a wide field as well as how do you winnow that field down into, you know, your list of five places to start with. It's good to have that direction. Well, and then my second meeting, I met with Janine, and I can't say her last name, Ippolito. She was amazing. She's also an editor. And I expected, you know, some of the same things that happened with Catherine Jones. And then I sat down with Janine, and she's like, let's go over your marketing. And then she Googled me and was like, oh, well, you need to go this way, and you need to change this. And I'm like, whoa, I got to change all these things so fast. And it was awesome because I would never ever thought like she was she one of the things she said is like you really want to have your name across plat- platforms to be the same so we googled and originally my platform was going to be jl burroughs but i'm not the top three things for jl burroughs so then she's like well but jennifer lynn burroughs is the top three like if you google jennifer lynn burroughs i already pop up so she's like you need to use that that needs to be what you use you go with for your marketing plan it was 15 minutes and it, it revolutionized my marketing plan just blew it up and so i don't regret going and i actually would advise anyone else going to a conference that has that opportunity dive in wholeheartedly because you spent a ton of money and there's so much to learn just stand in front of the fire hose the whole time oh that's just super encouraging to hear i'm actually going to my first conference in november this year a couple of states away in queensland so that's going to be an interesting experience Oh, I I thought it was incredible. I loved it. What kind of conference are you going to? It's called GenreCon. It's run through the University of Queensland, and I don't really know a whole lot about it. So coming out of the back of all that and all the information that you've received, I remember you saying earlier you were flirting with the idea of going the indie author route. Has the conference changed your mind on that, or has it caused you to sort of double down on that idea? Where do you sort of stand on the indie author versus going the traditional publishing route? That's a great question. What I think I'm going to go is hybrid. I really, so I talked with a lot of people about it. I went to the the seminars that compared small publishing with indie authors. I talked to the owner of Enclave, Steve Lobby. I listened to his talks, listened to quite a few people actually were talking about, including Julie Hall. And what I walked away from was that it doesn't have to be, this is what I'm going to do. And it's the only thing I'm going to do. And I like that. I like to say, okay, it's not because before the conference, I was afraid to put anything out there on CreateSpace, on Amazon. That was my own because if it didn't sell or if it didn't do because I didn't know what I was doing or whatever, that it would affect my ability. But there's a lot of hybrid publishing going on right now. And what that means is, because I didn't know, what that means is that you have some traditionally published books and then others you self-publish. And that's all that hybrid publish. Because I was like, oh, there's this special type of publishing now that I didn't know about. And it's really just, you take the two and you blend them. I really like that idea. And so what I'm thinking is like with my nonfiction books that I'd probably do indie publishing. With my fiction books to go the traditional route as far as I can. 
But I will tell you one of the things that I learned at the conference was about the finances of indie publishing and that it's much more lucrative because you're making all of the profit. And I also really like that idea. So I, I can't say that I wouldn't get into indie publishing with my nonfiction, fall in love with it, and then just start publishing my my own material. I, I really like the idea of it. I want more market experience. And so I'd like to do one or two with the traditional publishers, learn more of the lay of the land on that end. I mean, I have seven years of sales experience and marketing experience, but not in publishing. And publishing is kind of its own thing. So I'd like to spend some time learning from professionals before I um, embark on that completely by myself. And that, that's kind of my tentative plan right now. But again, I'm wide open to where I'm led. Yeah, it seems to be the really terrifying thing to me as well about the indie author route is the trying to get the marketing going, trying to actually get some visibility out there and you know, doing it intelligently enough that you're not going to end up spending your entire book's profits on just trying to market yourself. What I've heard from a lot of people that kind of don't take their time to do their research is that they'll publish the books and they don't make the money it costs to publish it back. The two things that you really should spend money on, period, doesn't matter how awesome you are, the two things are definitely cover. You got to pay for the cover. And it's not that expensive. I mean, they were talking about 300 to $500. And I mean, to me, that seems like a lot of money. But the, in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to, you know, you want to make more than $300 or $500 off the book, you need to be willing to invest three or $500 into the book. And then the other thing that they said, you know, no matter what, make sure you get this done is editing and, and pay for professional editing. And I will tell you, as an author going into it, it was like, I can edit my own book. I'm an English teacher. Like, I, I definitely have that side. Like, for 10 years, I have been editing. So it's not like it's new to me. But I think that it's still being my work blinds me. And so my intentions now is to work with an editor on my materials, whether I indie publish it or not, because we have our own blind spot. I think I'm saying one thing and it types a different word in there by itself. You know, the magic finger is the separation from the brain to the fingers. And I'm convinced even as I read it, my brain corrects it. And that happens. I mean, that's neurological. We see what we think we are doing. It's our perception determines what, what we view. And so those two things were the, the walkaways. Like, if you're going to be an indie author, which is a great avenue to go, I'm much more inspired to go that route than I was before. I wasn't really considering it and I was scared of it before the conference. Just make sure that you're getting an editor, you're paying for a good editor, you've interviewed and checked that editor. So it's not like a friend, oh, will you edit my book? And then they kind of run through it and they're like, oh, here's five comments for you in 500 pages. But like a true editor who does line editing and developmental editing and you interview them and then that book cover and compare it to other book covers in the industry because that is your commercial. Your cover is your commercial. So, I mean, think about what we see on TV. If it's not up to that par, it's not going to sell. Yeah, it's quite against the old adage, but you do very much judge a book on it by its cover, don't you? Yes, you do. Absolutely. And and you should, because that is the reason we have covers. And I will tell you that I think, and I, I after this conference, because that was said several times, that comment, don't judge a book by its cover, was said multiple times at the conference. And I thought, I really want to look up the history of that. Because I remember back in the day, the books were just the like cloth bound books with the pages, you know, like old. I want to know when that, that saying kind of originated. Because I, I'm tempted to think it's because of the old cloth bound covers that didn't have any pictures, just the words, you know, written pretty on the cover. And that's it. So I'm, I'm going to look into that phrase, the history of it. It sounds like there's a story seed in that somewhere. 
I tell you, there's a story scene in everything. I'm walking around, I'm like, oh, that could be a story. Oh, that could be a story. Like, I've got so many stories rattling around. I will say, I keep a little notebook on my phone uh, in the Google Keep app. And I'm just going to keep popping them in there because as long as the ideas are flowing, I think we need to catch them. They're like fireflies. Just catch them. <laughs> and if nothing else, you've got a, a couple of short stories in there to, uh, to pursue at some point. So it's a win-win. I don't know. I've never written anything short. I don't know if you can tell just in talking to me, but I have words, lots of words. And it's funny because my mom, when I was a kid, would always say, you could talk the ear off an elephant. And I was like, you know, probably true. Probably true. And then I'm in a career where, you know, I'm teaching. So there's talking there too. <laughs> I don't know. Sammy, it's like manifest destiny writ large. Right, right. Yeah. And it's funny because poetry isn't a lot of words and songs aren't a lot of words, but I also like to play with them and, and wheedle them down. So, I mean, it's, yeah, words. I got words, lots of them. Do you find that that is what bleeds into your fiction writing or is it more the economy of words from the poetry and songwriting when you're writing through your novel, sort of going back through your edits and that, do you find that it's lengthy? Do your novels tend to run long or do they tend to end up with a bit of an economy of words, that sort of poetic prose tightening happening while you go through? So this first venture into fiction was a learning venture. And so when I first started writing it, I ended at like 70,000 words. It was super tight. And then uh, discovered this thing called plot holes. Yeah, I wasn't really happy discovering that thing. And um, depth of character, that was a really uncool thing too. I was like, what? You just can't just do things? You have to have a reason? Like, you guys are being so needy. Like, just stop being like that. <laughs> well, I have to say, it's much better you discovered this before your readers did, so. <laughs> well, and, and I think, but I think each writer as they go along kind of has to run into these things and because and, we can talk about them all we want as teachers. And, and this is the side that's, you know, from the teacher side, like I know I can tell a student what a thesis statement is, you know, the old thesis statement, gotta love them, but they'll write it. And they, like, literally there is no translation of this is what is said. And this is actually what it is. There's no, there's no translation there. And so the only way to make that connection is for the writer to write something and fail that doesn't make you a failure. That makes you a learner. Then you have to go after that information. So I've read, oh, I can't tell you how many craft books, but I've read writing fiction. I've read uh, my favorite one was Story Engineering by Larry Brooks. I love that book because to me, that really helped me understand what commercial fiction requires. And so that helps me like be, okay, because I want mine to be commercial. So I'm like, okay, I need to check these things out, make sure they're in there. Spectacularly written. Um, I get really annoyed with the craft books that give you all the examples and all the genres. Cause like, then there'll be like a horror example. And I'm like, I don't want to read horror. I don't want to read that example or like a war scene. That's like real. Like I can do war scenes and battle scenes with fictional characters but when it's like people blowing up and legs dropping off and stuff like mm -mm, mm -mm, I don't want that so then I'm like I'm kind of turned off to those craft books but I've read I've, I've pushed myself to read them um, I've got quite actually probably seven or eight on my list to read now I think that we need to be constant learners and teaching ourselves um, the craft because again it isn't until you have the need oh I have a plot hole how do I fix that like for example I got recommend I have two 
awesome critique partners that I just totally love. And so they're the ones that are helping me and teaching me how to do these things. It's better than a master's class because I'm sitting there just because it has to do with my work. And that's the trick in teaching writers to write is it has to be personal. It has to be to their work. And so I'll be like, did I do it? Is this right? And they'll, you know, they'll be able to, well, could you explain why this happened and why this happened? So my book went from 70,000 words to 120,000 words. Yeah. So I, that's filling in those plot holes and filling in that character development. And then it was going back through and retightening the vision. And so originally there were some things, some elements that I had put in there because of my personal life. But as the book became its own entity, I realized that things like, like I had, there was a school in it because I'm a school teacher, it's what I know. I took the school out because it's not about school. This book is about war, it's about love, and it's about how we have choices that affect that war. We have choices that affect that love. I'm very serious about my writing career. I really hope to one day um, get out there and, and make this a thing. I know there's a lot of people that, are, that say that. I mean, it's an incredible amount, but like I'm dedicated to learning whatever is necessary to do it and to using. I mean, it's, I, I'm kind of uniquely prepared for it as an English teacher and a salesperson. Like to put those two careers together, it's kind of like kind of a little poetically perfect. <laughs> That was alliteration that added value in case you weren't sure. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly placed. <laughs> exactly. I'm excited about where things are going and what, what's happening. I feel like every step of this journey, it's not been like, oh, I wrote a book and then boom, you're famous. Like that's not how this works. But what I do know is that that consistent persistence pays off. And that's what every author I have spoken to has said, every single one. That and you know what was really interesting at the conference that I learned is that the authors who are published, like the publishers because they're selling things, right? They find what works and then they want that over and over and over again, but then that's not going to sell. So what they say, what the authors are saying is if you have a vision for your book and it's unique and it's original, stick with it. Stay with that original idea. Don't try to pander to the market because what's going to end up happening is the market's going to say, the people, your readers are going to say, I liked this book. I want this book again. But then they're going to read it and they're going to be like, oh, this is boring. It's the same thing. See the problem? <laughs> and that's the same thing that the publisher is going to hit too. Certainly with uh, the length of traditional publishing cycles, by the time you can smell a trend on the wind, you put a manuscript over. that goes through all the rounds of everything and it finally gets published and you're six months too late. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny because you'll also like, for me, I'm looking for readers like myself. Like I want to, I want to write for readers like me. So it's funny when you said short story, I kind of had like a visceral response because I don't think I've ever read a short story unless I was forced to by a student and then I'll read it. And you know, it's very nice. You might want to inspect, you know, story plotting and stuff. But for me, like books don't come out as individuals. Like it's really hard. One of the things that we were told in the conference was just write one book. Don't write the series because if the first book doesn't sell, the series isn't going to sell. And, and I think that's excellent advice. I don't disagree with it at all, except I'm a series writer. So yeah, that goes back to that original vision thing. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely agree. I'm not going to do it. Right. I, I, great, great, great words. Um, not going to follow those, but that's okay. <laughs> Because everybody's on their own journey. I think, you know, if I read a book, I'll tell you this. I only pick up books that are in a series and the series is finished. It's the only time. Because it really irks me. It really, really irks me if I read book one and I fall in love with these characters and I love the plot and it's left on a cliffhanger and the next book comes out in six months. What? That is not okay. No. 
<laughs> so I really, I'm honing in on what I love and it's definitely completed series. Yeah, ne- never start on Game of Thrones then. <laughs> well, I've heard, I've heard. I, and so my books are always going to be clean. They're not gory. They have no bad words. It's PG. So I'm writing for YA, of course, but to me, it's really essential. A lot of books kind of have a lot of content that I wouldn't want my teens to read. And I, I currently have a teenager, Lord help me. And he's, he's a great kid. And there's certain things that I just don't want to have. I don't want any agenda in there. I don't want any certain influences driving him this way or that. Like I, I, yeah, I think there's issues in the world, no doubt. And I think we need to set them on the right path. But I think that has a lot more to do with kids making their own choices and learning to follow their heart. than it has to do with exposing them to things that are detrimental to their emotional and mental well-being. Yeah, that's a good approach to take, especially from your teaching background. I can see how that would really be an influence. Yeah, well, and I don't. The thing is, I cannot possibly hand my book to a student I'm teaching if there's something in there that doesn't go in, in line with what I'm teaching. Like, I, there are certain standards that teachers are held to, which is higher than many other standards. And to me, I think those are correct standards for adults working with children. And when we write books, I think sometimes we forget that YA includes children. I'm actually reading a, and reviewing a YA book now from the Australian market, and it's uh, it's incredible. The style of writing and the style of themes that are in it seem pretty uh, pretty up there for a for a book market at sort of mid teens. So you can there's yeah. certainly a line to be walked somewhere in there, and it's, it's important to know where that line is. I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of people. It's it, we live in an age right now where it is everything's acceptable. It, that's great if you're an adult, you know. But as kids, kids get lost in that, and and they their frontal lobes don't develop till they're in their twenties. And I think that a lot of people lose sight of that fact that they don't have all their faculties yet to be good judgers and analyze what the content is. I mean, for me, I can watch something that is not something I agree with and just be like, oh, that's something I don't agree with. Whereas a child is going to watch something and say, oh, I should agree with that because it's on TV. To me, that's a really sad part of our society right now because we've lost sight of our future, our children. And we might sort of start to wind that up there. Where can we find yourself online, Jennifer? And where can we get to read some some of your work? So my website is jenniferlynnburrows.com. So you can find me there. And um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at author. That's my handle. And I um, I have a YouTube channel, but don't go there because it's kind of a hot mess. <laughs> one day, one day I'll get comfortable with video. This is kind of my, my ex right now, just working my way into video. I, I'm not terribly comfortable with it. I don't feel I'm loquacious enough to like on the fly, get it out there. But I want to, my students have asked me to do videos about books and stuff one day. So, but for now, those, my website and my um, Twitter Instagram are kind of the main places to find me and chinillo.com is where my cult of blindness is being published uh, by um, chapter I did take the summer off so I'm coming back this fall to start publishing to that again I anticipate my books are typically anywhere between 40 and 50 chapters Um, I like short chapters so it's got a ways to go it's on chapter 10 maybe right now and uh, when I get back I plan on fast publishing the chapters I do about a chapter every two weeks and that's that science oh, fiction. Wow, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good pace, I think. 
I don't know. I, I It's funny because I was talking to Julie Hall. Remember the one I was saying is an author. She said that I'm a fast writer. And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what other people do. That's, that's one of the things about the conference was learning kind of like what other people do. But yeah, I do write a lot and I do write fast. So the predestined, the 70,000 word novel, I wrote that in one month in September. Uh, Forsaken was also 70,000. I wrote that in two months, January, February. So like I, 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 I do write very quickly. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jennifer, and sharing a bit about your writing journey, your process, and what makes you tick. Happy to be here. I'm, this has been such a pleasure, and it's just always good to get to know other authors, and to have this opportunity really means a lot to me. Thank you for get offering it. No, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much again, and we'll catch you on the Twitters, I guess. Sounds like a plan. Brilliant. Thanks, Jennifer. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.